Hello and welcome to the Global Careers Calls podcast from the University of London Career Service. Your chance to listen to stimulating career conversations between a member of our team and professionals working in a range of sectors based across the globe. So let's listen into our Global Careers Call. In this episode of Global Careers Calls, Laura Bremer, Deputy Head of the University of London Career Service, discusses careers using a computer science degree during her call with Ruan Fonseca. Ruan talked about his career from his academic studies with the University of London to his first jobs in software development as a program analyst and then into academia as a tutor on a BSc computer science program. We hope you enjoy the call. enormous pleasure to be joined today by Ruan Fonseca, who is joining us to talk about his experience within the technology sector, originally from Sri Lanka, now based in the US. Ruan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, as we know from the previous information you've shared with us in the past, you graduated back in 1998 with a BSc in Computer Science and Information Systems from the University of London. So if I could take you right back to then, uh, when you were studying with the University of London, Ruhan, would you describe yourself as a career starter with very limited work experience, a career developer with a bit more, or a career changer? I would describe myself as a career starter. And prior to that time, we didn't have uh, the, the opportunities that are there immensely right now. Mm-hmm. But I started off before I did my degree to get an understanding. I did a diploma with NCC Education, NCC UK. And also I did uh, some exams with Australian Computer Society, those uh, society exams. So that gave me a kind of foundation to get on board for the BSc Computing Information Systems degree that I started. So it was a gradual progress. I didn't just get on board straight away with the degree. Mm-hmm. So that helped. Great. And did it was the course what you expected? The course, the, the modules, I would say, were challenging. For example, we had uh, COBOL because that was close to the Y2K time. Mm-hmm. And now I, I, I'm reading and seeing uh, posts that now COBOL is again coming back as, as a hot uh, job in, in certain uh, workplaces because it's being st- still being used mm. and it's hard to find COBOL problems. Right. So sometimes yeah. you see these kind of trends which go back and forth and come and re-emerge. So some of the things that, uh, that were studied, it's, it, it, it's basically it's a foundation and from that point onwards, you can uh, use that as the stepping board to move forward. So I would yeah. say that, that that's how it had the degree because whatever you st- whatever was studied for the curriculum at that time, one would say it's outdated. Nobody uses those technologies, but I wouldn't say it's exactly true because we didn't do C++. We did, for example, programming, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't do C++. We didn't C. Right. And then when I came into industry, there was a project that I needed to be on for C++, learning object-oriented concepts, and then C for my undergrad program. And then it helped me to learn C++. And then with C++, that helped me to learn C Sharp, <laughs> right? So I would say when it comes to being an undergrad stu- student with the university, it's a foundation mm-hmm. and it creates the change of mind, how you should think for your next 
assignments rather than thinking I'm done. I got my degree. There's nothing else. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Ruan. That's a brilliant illustration, like you say, of any technology-based course. You know, one could argue the moment you've studied it, you know, the industry's moved on and there's something else. But being able to apply what you learned within that sort of different situation once you're in industry, um, really nice insights for the, to share with the students. Thanks. I mean, in some ways, you've kind of answered this, I guess, but dealing with unexpected change is obviously something that people across different industries have to deal with all the time, not least as we've seen because of the impact of the pandemic since uh, 2020. But in your work as a software developer, can you give us an example of the times where you've had to deal with unexpected change and, and how you did that? I'd like to share a couple of scenarios rather than saying one answer as such. Mm-hmm. So coming as a starter, career starter, as soon as the, I graduated, the first thing is, job hunting. Now, being a career starter, which is common for almost everyone who just started the career, maybe uh, as a career starter, or even maybe a career changer. That's also a new starting point. Right? So you don't have any experience. So the, the, the thing, one of the challenging things I would say was getting into the industry. Mm-hmm. And with that, it is what are the technologies that the, the industry needs? So it can vary. It can, so for example, what, what's what, what, now most of the technologies are global because you can both work remotely. Mm-hmm. After the pandemic situation, things have changed. Yeah. Right. You can even work for the, uh, like I'm an online tutor mm-hmm. for University of London, working from USA. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing is understanding exactly what the requirements are and then targeting how to achieve that. So that was one of the challenging points from the start. And for my first job, for example, that I was on an accounting uh, software app mm-hmm. and I had an accounting information systems module ah. for my third year. And I remember uh, sharing it with one of, one of the, the lecturers saying, I'm using inside out exactly what I'm learning. <laughs> Strategically, I was able to use that knowledge for my first job. And then you have the continuous development and professional learning that it's needed. So you can start off, it becomes a starting point. So that's how I would say one way to go in terms of the career change or career starter. And then I joined a company, which was a consulting company. I was with them for five years. And I ended up working for US clients remotely. Mm-hmm. And then I came to US on some assignments. And then eventually I migrated to the US and then I was, I continued to work on a project for the same company continuous, continuously. And uh, I would say challenge, being challenged in that sphere uh, as a consultant. So mm. one of the things is you're on a project. So you, you have to learn the domain knowledge, what the companies like, company culture, because you'll be dealing with the clients. You need to do the company culture. That's a challenging thing. Each company, mm-hmm. uh, Different culture, uh, people are different, right? Everybody is unique. So you have to mm-hmm. know exactly who your stakeholders are, how to communicate with them. So that's one of the challenging areas as a consultant, if you're becoming a consultant. And then technology-wise, you need to learn. Sometimes some of the technologies may be old technologies. Mm-hmm. It need, didn't be the new one. So sometimes you have, if, if it is just, okay, you need to first get a job, right? It's not like a dream job. You can, mm. you can target your dream job, 
but ultimately you start off with a job, right? So, so as, a, as a startup, best thing is to start whatever you get, and then you can move on to whatever you would like to mm. do in the future. So it, it is difficult to identify exactly uh, what you need to do and then research and learn that technology or I'm, skill, right? It, when, it, so when, uh, when you're doing a project, you, are, you don't do it on your own. Mm. You work with the people. So you need to learn things like project management. So you, you have organizations like PMI, which uh, helps you to get certifications, project management certifications. Right now, I volunteer with the chapter. I belong to two chapters. <laughs> and I'm uh, volunteering as the current president-elect for the PMI cha- chapter in Hudson Valley. Great. So one of the things is uh, volunteering also helps uh, mm. Mm-hmm. to gain exposure and experience. So it can be corporate internships or whether it's not, you can, you can volunteer in open source projects mm-hmm. or maybe uh, voluntary other assignments. Uh, sometimes they might say we need a web developer for yeah. such a volunteer thing, right? So mm. these things can help to gain the exposure and experience that's needed and becomes a showcase. You can have a project showcase mm-hmm. when you are, going for a job interview, you can say, I did this website, I did this code, right? You have some tangible thing that you can showcase and it's you're doing something good for the society as well. Absolutely. And you're able to network with people. Great. So I can hear from that, um, that sense of seeking out opportunities to apply what you've learned, but in a real world situation. And that may be within a role, like you say, particularly if it's within a consultancy context where you're having to kind of rapidly get to know the kind of feel and the culture of a client's business, often quite quickly, but not limiting yourself just to your your day job, potentially. Like you said, you've got involved uh, with Project Management Institute and volunteered in different capacities. And these are all ways, like you say, of providing evidence of what you can offer for a more kind of developed role later on. Fantastic. And I suppose a link to that, we know, everyone that many of our students either have already have their own business or they have ideas for a startup. They may be looking to eventually launch their own consultancy business, for example, particularly those of our students who are perhaps more career developers or career changers. And being sort of enterprising and entrepreneurial is obviously really important for people who want to work for themselves. But we're also seeing lots of evidence that it's important for people who work in organizations as well. So I'm wondering, based on your professional experience, you know, when you worked as a technical lead, for example, were there times when you had to be kind of entrepreneurial and enterprising, even though you were working for a company? So when it comes to consulting, generally, you will, you need to have all these kind of skills if, if it's soft engineering kind of consulting. So you might not have, uh, for example, title as per se saying a programmer or an analyst or business analyst or system analyst or program uh, project manager. You'll, you'll have to wear all these hats, <laughs> right? And that's how you can survive, right? Because sometimes you are just in front of the client and the client says, tell me the best solution. And sometimes you don't know what the organization is. So you have to read about the organization, know the context, so sometimes you actually become a coach mm-hmm. because you don't know what the, what the, what the, because for example, let's say the assignment is you have to migrate uh, from one platform to another platform, right? And then who knows the best about the existing app? It will be the, the client. Mm. 
So you have to get it from the client and uh, understand what the client's requirements are. So that's a the business analysis kind of role, right? Mm -hmm. And come up with a solution, which is the technical lead or mm -hmm. solution architect, right? Come up with alternative solutions and, and come up with uh, a way to get what they would prefer, what's best for the customer, mm -hmm. right? So I'm just sharing like how you play different roles and then ultimately you come up with, if it's a entrepreneurial kind of thing or, or mm -hmm. some idea like that, you have a proof of concept and come up with a minimum viable product, right? Mm. And that then you can showcase the client, right? And then you have the different ways of getting the understanding, maybe through questionnaires and, and find out exactly what the client needs, right? Mm. So you have to be able to... Get that uh, with, with, by wearing many multiple hats. So that's one way. Yeah, that's a great description of like how in, as one person, you're having to provide lots of different levels of service, lots of almost different relationships, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, you're being asked to provide a technical solution. But like you say, you, you can't provide that solution without getting quite a lot of detailed information about what the shape of the problem, really, and, and what kind of shape of solution they're envisaging. Fantastic. Okay, so... Now, you know, we get lots of students, particularly, say, students studying the BSc Computer Science course, which you're involved in as a tutor, you know, particularly for people at the start of their career, they know that getting a qualification, a relevant qualification and doing well academically is something that is going to impress employers in the future. But they also want to know, well, what else can they do? How can they try and stand out from the crowd of other sort of technical course graduates uh, who are coming out of institutions such as the University of London. So I wonder if you've got any sort of top tips we want about what students could do to further impress recruiters. Talking about the BSc Computer Science program, mm -hmm. that's a fantastic program, I would say. And whoever is doing the course, the, the modules, they should be very happy that they are, they chose University of London. Mm -hmm. And like I always share, the BSc of computer, BSc computer Science uh, degree program is offered through Coursera, which is a wonderful platform. Mm -hmm. So anybody in around the world globally can do it. Because you need to be based in the UK. Mm -hmm. And the course curriculum, it's targeted, I would say, to several areas, whether it's uh, programming, data science side, artificial intelligence, uh, all these all these big areas, right? So you get a, a, a feeling of like what can be done, right? Mm -hmm. An introduction program, uh, there's kind of gamification uh, approach, which I'm, uh, which, which I'm, I've noticed uh, in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So these things are, one would say, oh, these are not being used uh, like this in the industry, but at least this is a starting point for somebody who is a starter has never done any of these technologies. Mm -hmm. But if you have already done, sometimes you may be uh, good with uh, C++ alone, and, and you might be a wonderful developer doing really well in the company, right? But you may not be knowing Python uh, or maybe uh, doing the data science kind of stuff, right? And you get a glimpse of that in the program. Mm -hmm. So you can use that uh, to elevate yourself, whoever does that, right? Mm -hmm. And there are so many certification programs. When it comes to certification, you have industry 
back certifications. So whether it is the Microsoft platform, uh -huh. Google has their own certifications, uh -huh. and then uh, Amazon Cloud, uh, AWS, right? Uh -huh. So yeah. then, then you have other certifications. Uh, if you want to move into like project management, you have PMI has different certifications uh -huh. uh, for, the, for the experience and non-experience side. And then you have agile software certifications like uh, certified Scrum Master, certified product owner. Then you have business analyst or business analysts. Uh -huh. uh, there are certifications in the uh, professional body. And then joining professional bodies, uh, uh -huh. for example, IEEE, they have chapters. Being a student, you can join a, a student chapter. I joined IEEE as a student member. Uh -huh. And when it comes to project management, uh, Project, the, the PMI chapters, for example, there are chapter meetings. So by joining that, uh, I, I would say personally, mm. uh, I'm able to have continuous improvement in the skills I have. Mm. So that's one of the things that uh, it, it helps to stand out because ultimately, like I said, the, the degree is just a starting point. Yeah. But joining professional organizations, uh, even while in school, join student bodies. Right. I mean, there are so many student associations. Mm. I mean, there are Slack channels. You can join virtual uh, settings, meet up as a cohort, <laughs> right? Because ultimately, once you graduate, you part, become part of the University of London alumni. Yeah. Whether you did it, uh, for example, if it's a BSc computer science degree program on Coursera, uh -huh. you do it virtually, but ultimately become an alumni member, right? Uh, as an alumna, for example, I still communicate with and network with, uh, and I'm part of the alumni, yeah. right? So these things help in the long run to know exactly uh, how it uh, how to how to how to get in touch with who you need to get in touch with because ultimately it's not just the technical things what matters you deal with people yeah so mm -hmm. you need to know exactly what to do how to do and when to do by associating the right minded people by networking brilliant I mean, and I think what we got there is a really useful insight into the different strands, like you said. Some of this is about upskilling your, potentially upskilling your programming skills by learning new programming languages. And there's ways of doing that. And there's open access courses and there's ways of, you know, looking at MOOCs in this space as well. I really like your point as well, Ruan, about certification uh, and thinking about how additional certificates within different platforms and different spaces can, like you say, really add value to your degree qualification as well. I think I could completely agree with your point about professional associations. And I think, you know, particularly career starters. I mean, when I was at university, I don't think I knew that much about professional associations. But now as a professional, I can see just how valuable they are as a way both in and through a profession. So I totally agree. If you can engage with any relevant professional associations, get involved, like you said, as, as you have done in the local chapter of the PMI where you're based. And also, like you were saying there about connecting with your student cohorts, you know, hopefully some of the students listening to this episode are eventually going to be alumni that we interview, such as we're interviewing you today. So we know that several of our students are connecting through things like Discord, for example. Uh, so there's a sort of sense of student community there as well. 
Okay, so last question from us, and thanks again. It's been really fascinating. Um, one of the things we've been working a lot recently is thinking about students working in interdisciplinary teams and transdisciplinary teams. So students who are perhaps studying technical-based courses with arts and humanities courses, with medical courses. And it resonated with me what you said about although you work in tech, it's people really that you work with and then you're working on tech projects. So just finally, I wonder if you could give us a bit of insight into your opinion about why is it helpful to think about working with lots of different types of specialists and from different academic backgrounds? I look at it in two different scenarios. One is a corporate scenario and one is the startup entrepreneurial scenario. Hmm. So let's take, for example, a startup scenario. Right now, so many people are coming up with, I want to do a part-time job. I want to be a freelance. I don't want to be a nine to five, right? So hmm. There's, uh, so there's a crowd because there's so many opportunities being a freelance as well. And in that scenario, for example, let's say you're on a tech program, like BSc computer science program with University of London. So you, you can learn the technologies and think, okay, I wanted to be a consultant, a data science consultant in data science, right? Or I want to be a full stack development uh, person, right? So or I want to come up with uh, mobile apps. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's say we take, uh, for example, a mobile app, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ultimately, it's not an app what goes through. It's the idea. Mm. So idea it should be business or maybe if it's a nonprofit, it should, it should be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So you should come up with a sustainable model to be able to maintain that, right? Yeah. So that if you want to have different versions, so you need to have the funding, right? So that comes a business element. Mm-hmm. And you want to sell this product. That's a marketing element, mm. right? So, I mean, you cannot be a specialist in all fields, right? That's why we have different programs and different specializations, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the good thing of knowing everything is you know exactly whom to contact, when, to, and like I said, what to do, when to do, right? Mm. But And by getting in contact with the peers in the other programs, even with just London, yeah. Right before you come out of the program, you know exactly who is, who are your peers, right? Mm. In the other fields, right? It can be a law program for somebody who's in LLP, right? Because mm-hmm. data privacy and protection is very critical in nowadays, right? And you have some, uh, cybersecurity issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. How to deal with those, right? So all these things matter. So by networking within the within with other students. Uh, in similar the other programs that University of London does, you know exactly, you, you make, make friends and you know exactly what they like to do. So let's say that someone comes up with, oh, I have this idea. And then one person who is a, who, let's say, computer science program comes up with a, a proof of concept uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. product, right? With the mock product, uh, they can use that and they come up with a small startup idea mm, that becomes okay. a startup venture. Mm. Right, and then then the startup venture can become a corporate entity ultimately, or maybe they can sell it out. That's mm. just one way of the uh, the use of that to do networking, right? And yeah. so the cross-functional thing comes into play. But if you're working for a corporate entity, yes, again, for example, uh, one of my last projects that I I worked was a data migration project, mm-hmm. right? And then. That involved uh, migrating for different company sites. Mm-hmm. And one of the sites uh, 
was in Italy. Mm-hmm. So that was totally different experience, right? Being in US, mm-hmm. so you have data, data, privacy laws are different, cultural laws are different, mm-hmm. right? Because in the US, there's a tendency people work late hours. Mm-hmm. But in Europe, sometimes you're strict, you're, you're in the workplace from this time to this time. You should mm-hmm. not work afterwards, right? So there are certain restrictions in place. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I'm just giving examples. So mm-hmm. When it comes across functional, it's not just uh, the speciality but also the cultural aspect as well. So by working, so you get experience by working with people, right? And mm. so you, you learn what should be done mm. or not, not be done, right? Based on that side as well. And the speciality also, because uh, for example, when I'm giving an example of the project, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that data migration was uh, migrating from multiple ERP systems, mm-hmm. systems to one on the cloud. Mm-hmm. Right. And the specialization, so different, uh, the, the ERPs were done at different sites. Mm-hmm. And are, the specializations were different. For example, uh, the, the product, they were, so I, they, they, they were specialized on that particular product. And, and also in the team, when you're migrating, you have finance people, sales, mm. supply chain, because everybody uses the ERP system. I'm just giving an example, mm. right? Mm. So working, so I had to work with all of them, the team. So all of them were the team members. So when it comes to data sharing, data is being shared, taken out from the systems and shared and cleansed so that it can be prepared for the rollout, right? And so that I I had to deal with uh, interacting with people from different functional areas. Yes, I see. That's one example. That's great. I mean, and I think... What I also really like there is, particularly when you're talking about working with a sort of Italian client, so it's not just transdisciplinary working, but it's intercultural communication as well, isn't it, like you say, and, and being able to sort of manage that. Well, Ruhan, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. We've got a fascinating insight into the world of work that you have experienced in terms of the tech sector. And on behalf of all of us at the university, thank you so much for giving us your time for free today and letting us get a glimpse into your world. Thank you very much. This was the Global Careers Calls podcast, brought to you by the University of London Career Service. You can find all episodes on your favourite podcast provider and all links and resources mentioned by our host are in the episode notes. This episode was hosted by Laura Brammer. It was edited by Bush Rajanu and presented by me, James Weaver, and produced by all of us. We'll have more episodes coming out in the following weeks with some motivational stories from our diverse graduate cohort. So please do subscribe. And to listen to previous episodes and find further resources made by our team, visit www.london.ac.uk forward slash careers. Thanks for listening and join us next time for a new global career call.